This podcast is an empowerment platform for the opportunity seekers, the problem solvers, the game changers, the future shapers, the world builders, the entrepreneurs. This podcast will look to explore the very nature of entrepreneurship in Africa and profile entrepreneurs who are breaking new ground in their respective industries. We got to do this. <laughs> it's the only way. Yeah, this has to happen. <laughs> Therefore, it's going to work. Yeah. Um, I always start the podcast by asking someone to introduce themselves. Yeah. Introductions. Uh, I've done quite a few of those, but I think it's still difficult to introduce myself. But um, used to be known as Andrew Similander, right? Okay. And recently I decided to change that whole thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to go by Duduzi now because that's what I feel like. Um, and I'm, I'm more connected to that person. So what's strange is that having two names in a way has given me almost like two identities. You know, Andrew's like this one guy and they have a lot of similarities, you know, Andrew and Duduzi. Uh, but yeah, Duduzi is Melania, grew up in Standerton. Did the first 17 years of my life there. So basically, I was born in Standerton, Sakile, and I moved up to Johannesburg and I was like 17 and a half, if that makes any sense. And then at like 18, I started my first year at UJ. I did public relations. And that first year, I also got into like playing guitar, yeah. which is something really cool and enjoyed. So I guess that's where my creative aspect or creative element comes from. I did my diploma here at uh, Bunting Road Campus, record time, finished within like three years. Third year of my studies at UJ, I joined the UJ Observer, which is the campus newspaper. And I mean, my love for media that just went fun. crazy from there, right? Yeah. Uh, but even before then, I, I really wanted to be a media mogul. You know, this one time I was watching Oprah because that would be my escape, you know, as a young dude from the township. Oprah the was your escape? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's strange and really funny, right? It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, I'm like really inspired by stories. And I guess also, again, that's where the storyteller, you know, aspect of my life comes in. 
but above that, you know, I just loved how Oprah was doing her thing and how she was growing her business. Uh, you know, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And I was like, I want to be like this woman someday. You know, I want to be a media mogul and yeah. I want to start my own company. I want to make sure that I, you know, create employment for young people. I want to teach, you know, I want to do various things. And yeah, after I got inspired by Oprah and did my first year at, uh, I did my, you know, time at the UJ Observer, uh, which was amazing. I worked as a news reporter at the time. And it just elevated to, you know, me becoming, a, you know, the copy editor, meaning that I had to read, you know, the entire newspaper, yeah. think about layout, you know, advertising in the newspaper and all of that stuff. Do you think, um, I think th there's such a powerful empowering factor or yeah. just like a training factor yeah. that comes with um, campus or yeah. uh, university or college mm -hmm. um, media properties like that so yeah. whether it's you know vow fm uh, yeah. ujfm yeah. all these yeah. you know radio stations or newspapers that's a really good training ground it for is. young people it that is. are trying to get into media it is i mean for me i mean i did my diploma was in public relations and communications so i think writing was also an important aspect of what i did and also just understanding the other side of the game because generally interactions with public relations practitioners or with like journalists, right? So I was just understanding the other side, but that did play a huge, you know, part in, in giving me inspiration as, as a media practitioner. And I'm actually afraid also that those platforms aren't taken care of. Properly. Definitely. So that's why I raised it. It was like, are we forgetting the role that those sort of organizations have in training up people that are going to go into media in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I last year, uh, from October 2018 up until October 2019, uh, I was teaching at the Academy of Television and Screen Arts, and my job was to do, like, teach content distribution uh, and also teach content creation. So I would help, you know, the guys from first year all the way up to third year, including the higher certificate guys with their practical projects. Say maybe they shoot in a short film, I'll be the guy who's guiding them how to put the proposal together, you know, how to plan the shoot and how to execute the shoot and how to deliver, yeah. you know, the final project. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate about those things and looking at campus media and the fact that it's not properly taken care of really, really worries me because that's where I got my training, you know, and that's where I got to be able to do a lot of things. I mean, I got to... So these are some of the fundamentals that I think, you know, generally media practitioners need to have or just any other person. So you need to be able to know how to read. You need to be able to know how to write, how to research and how to think. Mm. If you can do those things, you know, that makes you way better than anyone you're competing against. Yep. And those platforms do exactly that. And if we don't have those platforms, or if those platforms are not being utilized, you know, correctly, then we're not going to be able to achieve that. You know, by the time, you know, this journalism students goes and, you know, and, and work for a newspaper, they're not going to be at a proper level. And that's where we have a gap between, you know, education and what employers are looking for. And it's a big issue within, you know, the television and film industry. Yeah, I think it's a, across the South African um, economy, yeah. to be honest. But I definitely see it in media. Um, what do you think we should be doing different or better? We should be investing more in we should be investing more in, in, 
training rather than, you know, kids spending time in class and learning theory. And don't get me wrong, theory is important. But, you know, it also just, it's an ecosystem that's really dysfunctional. You think about the Department of Higher Education, you think about the education institutions themselves, you think about, you know, the employers, you think about the students or the graduates within that whole ecosystem. You know, everybody's not working together. Yeah. The Department of Education, they're not doing their job to make sure that the higher education institutions actually produce the correct you know, all the graduates which are at a proper, you know, standard level so that they can give to corporates and employers so that these, or even like to create entrepreneurs from that space. Yeah. You know, we, that's not the approach we have. Uh, I often say that no, uh, no knock to, you know, people like Mum Engine Teho and, you know, the guys that are involved within the South African education system, but I don't think they should be, you know, filling up those positions because also our education right now requires innovation. I don't think there's a lot of innovation there. Mm. So we do have a lot of problems with the entire ecosystem. And we should be spending more time on practice than, you know, theory, because that's what employers are looking for. Employers yeah. are looking for guys that can do stuff, you know, yeah. not guys that know theory. Because the biggest problem now is that employers have to spend most of their time retraining these guys when they should know how to practice or execute on some of these ideas. Yeah. Um, what do you think has been the effect of just all of that on the media and television industry? Unemployment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unemployment. Yeah. You know, we have people that are sitting at home with, like, degrees and diplomas. You know, I've seen, I mean, I spend a lot of time, you know, in the Mill Park area, and I work, you know, from 44 Standard at Josie Hall, and I get to see a lot of after students, you know, mm. and it really breaks my heart sometimes when I see some of these students working at the call center across the road. Because mm. that's what ends up. You know, yeah. uh, you, you hit 21, you hit 22. Your parents have been paying 80000 know, for the past, you know, three, four years for your education at AFTA or any other private education, you know, institution or even the public world. And your parents expect you to have a job and you don't have a job and you need to make a plan. You yeah. know, and another thing you also have within the media space is that, you know, it's been right now 25, 26 years since 1994, the freedom stuff. And... With that, I mean, you've got people that have been working in the industry for that long and they don't want to leave and they don't necessarily have qualifications. They just have experience. And there lies another problem within the media space because innovation then does not have, you know, a room. Because now these new guys could potentially provide the industry with innovation. We could be doing things differently in terms of content creation, in terms of content distribution and how we monetize the content. Yeah. Um, when you look at that, like I, I look at the South African media landscape and it's really just dominated by incumbents and monopolies yeah. mainly, which is yeah. just you know, three or four um, media houses that own you know, 100 media properties. Mm-hmm. And they all sort of, Everyone has their own ideology on what South Africa is and yeah. what Africa is. And they yeah. tell that story from their own perspective. Yeah. And we don't get a diversity of views, a diversity of experiences and perspectives that actually lend themselves to young people yeah. influencing the future of media in Africa. Yeah. And it's just like, I want to see it change. Yeah. I just don't see how. You know, I'm, I'm overplaying you know, the blame game. 
not blaming anyone anymore. I'm not going to say these guys have been doing this and they're not giving us opportunities. I'm all of that, you know. It's almost like, uh, which might be a controversial statement, you know, me saying, you know, I'm done complaining about white privilege and what, you know, white man has and I'm not willing to share with black people and redressing, you know, all the nonsense, you know, all the nonsense from the past. Uh, my thing is, if you want something, you better go out there and get it. And it's not going to be easy, you know. Yeah. And that's exactly what young people have to do. Just across board and with a lot of things. I mean, that includes politics and the government. If we want to change the system, we need to change it. No one is going to change it for us, right? And these guys are not going to hand it over to us. I mean, for one, I just mentioned to you that they don't think that we, we, we're competent enough to handle stuff. Hence the unemployment rate within the media space or the television and film industry. You know, so those are the problems we're facing. As young people, we need to make a decision and decide that we're going to go into this space and we're going to penetrate the space. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to develop new ways of, you know, monetizing the content and generating revenue streams for our companies. And we're just going to take it forward, whether they like it or not. I mean, that's what we did with that, with Apartheid, hate, right? We're like, we're not taking this anymore. We're going to change this whole situation and go into a different space. Yeah. So, you know, that's what the youth of 1976 did. We need to do the same thing if we want, you know, uh, the economic freedom and all the things that we talk about. We just have to go out there and take. No one is going to give it to us because, you know, the moment we start thinking about people giving us stuff, that's, that's also entitlement. And entitlement does not work in this world, you know. Yeah. So we need to be aware of that as young people and just go out there and take it, man, and start these media properties and start these media companies. we transforming or we transitioning into a digital space and digital allows us to actually own these media properties and become competition. It's not easy, it takes time, but it can be done. So when I first really interacted with you, the yeah. work that you do, it was mainly through Black Nation, yeah. um, which was a media property, uh, yeah. producing really it still great is. content. It hasn't changed. So, I mean, We're coming back I mean, real hard. Let's, let's, let's go into that. So how do you go from you know the work that you're doing yeah. um, in campuses to Black Nation? What was that yeah. journey like and what, what was that? Yeah. Uh, altogether, probably 12 to 15 years of my life. Um, me working on different ideas, really, and finally, you know, landing on that idea of Black Nation. Uh, from campus media, uh, I've also worked for UJFM, so I've worked for both media properties within UJ, which is UJ Observer and UJ, uh, UJFM. And again, playing different positions within those um, media properties at UJFM, I was the, you know, marketing, sales, and advertising guy. And that was my thing. And that was also like exposing myself you know, to the business of media. So how to monetize content, how to manage clients, and, you know, generally how things work within the media space. So with all that experience, I was fortunate enough to be in a position to start Black Nation. And this was back in 2011. So 2010, we had ideas and we had equipment and we're shooting, you know, but it never worked out. And I had like different business partners then. And after some time, my little brother, Tula Sizwe, uh, you know, just realized that, you know what, man, what you're trying to do with these guys is not coming together. So I've got this idea. So I want to start a platform and we should call it Black Nation. I was like, that sounds dope. And he was like, okay, cool. This is what I'd like to document as part of the platform, which is documenting, you know, pop culture predominantly within Johannesburg, but also do it across the country. 
And, you know, that's what, you know, people were doing at that time. And we had a lot of guys that needed exposure and publicity and really never had the platforms. And remember, digital media was not a big thing then. So we, we just picked it up and we started doing those things. And that's when we got to really and aggressively promote, you know, pop culture within Johannesburg. I mean, documenting people like Casper before the come up, people like Ricky, okay, Malum Cool Cat, guys at Frat Pack, you know, even documenting some of the, you know, street fashion guys like Styler Gang. We were that platform. You know, if you needed to see those guys and if you wanted to see content around those guys, we were the channel or the platform to go to. And that's how we almost like cemented our place within the digital content, you know, creation space. And it just grew from there into other things, which is, you know, the craziest thing about entrepreneurship, right? So you started business thinking that's probably where you're going to make a lot of your money. I mean, that's still the intention, but you end up making your money from elsewhere. And that's what happened with us, uh, with, you know, the establishment of, you know, the JNP Hive. Yeah. So when you think, so we're going to get into that future yeah. stuff yeah. as well. But yeah. um, when you look at the media landscape as it exists right now, yeah. do you think it would be way more prepared or way more... Do you think the adoption, the growth, the monetization would be much easier if you started in 2020 versus 2011? There's nothing wrong with being a pioneer. Yeah. I think it's really about adapting more than anything else. Uh, I'm actually grateful that we started in 2010 as opposed to 2020 because that gives us an advantage, right? We just need to be smart enough to realize it and capitalize on it. It puts us way ahead of the guys that started now. I mean, given it's, it's much easier for them to, you know, develop audience now, it's much quicker to develop content as opposed to back then, you know, and we were speaking just now about the amount of YouTube channels we have in the country. You know, it's crazy. And for me, that's great because I think also the idea behind starting Black Nation was to show other young black kids that it's possible to create content independently, own it, and if you can, monetize it. Yeah. You know, and I mean, after we did that thing, we saw a lot of young kids picking up 5Ds and 70s and all these DSLR cameras and shooting content and, you know, and, and developing content. And, and I'm glad. I mean, I'm happy about the current situation. Uh, I've, I've got nothing against it. And I just know I've got an upper hand and I just need to use it. And that's what we're planning to do as a company. Yeah. And when you look at just the massive rush to create digital content, whether yeah. it's YouTube channels or podcasts with us, for example. Yeah. Um, how do you assess the type of content that's going out? So just like the conversation we had earlier, just like, are we really owning our own narrative and creating the content that actually speaks to Africans? Yeah. It's two things at play, right? Uh, we do have the local context, but there's also the international context we need to look at. And I think then, as a thinking individual or as a business, you need to decide which market you're going to go for. And just know that if you're going to go for the local market and the international market, it's going to you know, take that much effort. That means you're going to have to do it twice. Mm. You know? So it, it's really about understanding that and, and understanding your audience and who you're going for and what you want to achieve with your content. Uh, when we started... Uh, Definitely, our platforms were influenced by international content. We were consuming a lot of lies, consuming a lot of complex, noisy, 
you know, Hype Beast and all these international platforms. And that was the influence back then. And I think, you know, it still is. Uh, and that's the market we, we went for. But we took all of that content and we localized it. So, okay, cool. This is the structure we're going to use. We want to be like complex. We're going to take that business model, that business structure, but we're going to document what's happening locally. You know, that was, that's how we approached it. That was our reference point. And it got to a point where we were creating, we had like a programming schedule and we were putting out content pieces every day. You know, we would have a show that plays on Monday, Tuesday, all the way up until Friday. You know, and we had like presenters for those shows. People like uh, Prime Obsession, Shelly and Nene, you know, doing fashion and architecture. And I remember those stuff. shows. Exactly. So we, we did stuff like that and we were challenging ourselves. We also had a huge team at the time because we were producing Black Nation magazine. We were just doing a lot of things, you know, documenting local culture, but using international structures. That was our business approach. And I think everyone needs to do the same. They need to look at their target audience and decide what they need to go for. You know, as for local content, there's a lot of value in that because it's not just the local market that's interested in the local stories of local content, but it's also international people that want to see how South Africans live and do their thing. Yeah. So you mentioned complex and vice, yeah. all those properties. And when you look at them, um, the big thing they've had is they've had traditional media houses. So, yeah. so for example, with Vice, they've had HBO. investment from HBO, from yeah. Disney. Um, do you see South African traditional um, platforms understanding or recognizing the value of digital platforms from young creators and not just recognizing and saying, oh, you guys are doing a great job, but going a step further and going, here's the investment, here's the you know, seed funding, here's the acquisition that puts you in a completely different space and makes you, um, puts you in a position to actually become a global player. Uh, it's quite difficult because we are looking for thought leaders. We are looking for people that are confident in their ideas, people that are confident in their teams. Those are the kind of CEOs that we need, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, I doubt that's what we have in the country at the moment, looking at media properties or the big media properties that you just mentioned. Um, you know, remember back in the day before digital, you know, a track would come out, you know, here in Johannesburg, and because also radio is not that popular, right? Mm -hmm. A track would come out here in Johannesburg, and people in KZN would probably get to know the track a few months later. Yeah. Remember that? No, I don't remember that. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, I was born in 1988, so stuff like that would happen, right? So music would come out in Johannesburg, and it would get to Stanton like a few months later. You know, mm. now in digital, obviously, you know, if Nasty C drops a track, my little brother in Stanton will pick it up instantly because if one is Nasty C, you know, on Instagram and all of that stuff. But that's what's happening with the media industry. You know, we always falling behind, you know, the developed countries or the first world countries. Uh, we're going to catch on in like 2030 or in 2040 around that business thinking, you know, um, and it's quite easy, man, to emulate these systems. It's not difficult. You know what I'm saying? But we need, to, we need a big change or a big shift in how people think how media, you know, should work and how these platforms should function as businesses. I mean, MultiChoice has, as part of their enterprise development, they've got this program uh, I did in 2017. I think it's called MCAMP. Mm. 
So what they do is they bring together a bunch of content creators or like um, media entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call it. And these guys, we go through like a three-week program and they take us through different things, accounting, legal, all of those things. Uh, it's a great, it's a great initiative. But one issue with that is, you know, multi-choice from that. So there's, there's like a pitching competition and whoever gets to win the pitch then, you know, gets funding. It's not really funding. It's multi-choice buying your idea for $2 million, mm. you know, and they own it. And then they hire you as a service provider to maintain the idea that you've sold to them. You know, that's also like killing entrepreneurship in a way. Yeah. Because then what you're doing is creating an employer. You know, we could argue that because you'd be servicing the idea as your own company. But, you know, you don't own the idea anymore. But, you know, at least, you know, that's something. That's a step forward uh, mm. towards the idea that you're talking about these big media companies investing in small companies. So we need, we need to see more of those things happen within our economy or within our country and for, for us to get to where you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So as a person that's you know, trying to completely change the way media works in yeah. Africa, right? Yeah. I look at the current state and I'm, I'm terrified. Yeah. Well, why are you terrified? I so... I know I'm not going to get the support I need, yeah. right? So, because, so, for example... In terms of, in terms of, like, funding, maybe from other... So, so I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, there's a, a bunch of radio stations yeah. that have bought into podcasts in the U.S. And, you know, they're paying to make sure other people um, are able to scale what they do. Yeah. But also because they recognize the possibility of success through that. Yeah. So, even with HBO buying into Vice, it's like... We know what we are as a traditional media house and what we can do, yeah. but we would rather invest in someone that could possibly build the future of what media looks like. Yeah. And I don't see that happening with South African mm-hmm. businesses. I think um, traditional media really looks at young creators as not even as a threat, but as an as a, as a irritation. So it's like you're there doing this thing we don't really care until the point where our audience is moving towards you. So I've seen sort of small trends, like, for example, um, seeing traditional media houses, radio stations, going on Twitter to steal content from people making content and just posting it as their own. It happens a lot, yeah. It happens a lot. And you look at that and you go, there's a culture in South African media that goes, we are the big boys. There's nothing you could possibly do to affect us. yeah. And the audience on the other side. So if you aren't on Twitter to see that one tweet that that one guy posted and it went viral, yeah. and then some other radio station takes that and makes, makes it, it a, news, yeah. makes it their their topic on their show or whatever, they don't credit the creator or anything. And if you weren't on Twitter to see that thing happen, you won't know where the creative is coming from. Yeah. So you just assume that the, the media house is actually still being very innovative yeah, and they, yeah. they've got good creative. Yeah. But the source of it is actually young creators on the internet. Yeah. And because of just that culture, I don't see you know a massive media house going, you know what, you guys understand this podcast thing or you guys understand this digital content thing. You guys understand how to take tradi- uh, you know US models for making YouTube video or whatever content and localizing it into South African context and really making it valuable and going, here's the money, here's the resources. You guys can run. We'll keep doing what we're doing and be influenced by you in an ethical way. 
I'm actually glad you brought up the word, uh, the word ethics. Uh, I think, I mean, for people to take other people's content and, you know, distribute it as their own is very unethical. And for media houses to do that, that's foul play because they know, you mm. know that what they're doing is unethical. But, you know, the internet is also like a very different space. You know, it's almost like, you know, the wild, wild west. And it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. And, I mean, how many similar incidences have we had, you know, since, you know, you know, this great exposure to internet? You know, these big companies, you know, stealing ideas and making them their own. It's not just media agency. It's not just media companies, uh, the big media houses. It's also like advertising agencies. It's pretty much any other business that has power to do such things, right? Um, and, 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 and it's very difficult content creators to protect their content on the internet. I mean, I often see people putting up content on Instagram, for example, and say, you know, you know, this is copyright protected, you're not supposed to use it, but that defeats the whole purpose of the internet. Uh, the internet is supposed to be free information, ideally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole idea behind it, and people need to have access to that information. I think the biggest thing that we have to do is just credit people for the stuff that they've done. But, you know, telling people not to use your content that's not going to happen. Yeah. That's not going to happen. And and going back to like big media houses abusing small companies and getting away with it, I mean, we've had a lot of instances like that. For example, we did work for another television network and the designer from that television network, you know, moved to like doing some stuff for LiveAmp. If you look at the Black Nation logo and look at the LiveAmp logo. I've never looked at, (laughs) I don't think I've seen you know, Live amp. I don't know in how many years. Just take a look after this podcast recording. Take a look at the Live Amp logo and take it the Black Nation logo. I mean, mm. this guy knows our logo and he knows the guy that designed our logo, which is Shaplin Tim Kudu, a good friend of mine. He designed that logo. And the guy who designed the Live Amp logo knows Shaplin. Mm. You know, and when that whole thing happened, you know, we were actually talking together at that point. We are interacting a lot. And this guy decided to take this, you know, design and gave it to Live Amp. You know, nothing happened with that. I was not interested in pursuing that case or, you know, that argument. But such things happen. And then you just have to let it go. You know, the most authentic one will stand, the, you know, the test of time. Yeah. And that's what it is. You know, and, and, and going into the idea of, like, media houses buying into small agencies or, for example, getting rid of 702, you know, investing in your company. It's highly, highly possible. You know, uh, it might not be moving as fast as we want it to, but it's highly, highly possible. I mean, thinking of, you know, TV networks like uh, MultiChoice or DSTV, so to speak, you know, there's a guy who works in there, Gabelo Moremi, you know, he's a commissioning editor. You know, we used to develop a lot of content together back in the day. Uh, he's part of Fred Pack. you know, with people like him, I definitely have hope that things will change. You know, we need people like him in such spaces because he's the guy who's going to change the thinking within, you know, multi-choice. And hopefully eventually he becomes the CEO, then he can, you know, rebrand that entire thing into that digital space and coming up with ideas of investing, you know, in small media companies. So, I mean, it'll happen. Maybe not as fast as we want it. And again, you know, you are one of the first guys to do podcasts in the country. And as a pioneer, you're going to have to face what we are facing now as Black Nation 10 years later. 
Yeah. Yeah. If I survive ten years. Yeah. Oh, you will survive. I have no <laughs> doubt. You will survive. You will survive. Yeah. I have no doubt. Yeah. So just going um, back, but sort of yeah. forward as well. Yeah. Um, so you're doing Black Nation, the content yeah. and all of yeah. that, and that sort of led into forming the JNB Hive. Um, yeah. So what was the sort of journey of building this out, and what was it initially? Yeah. Um, that was an exciting time of my life and it was a different period and I think I was learning to become an entrepreneur more than just a content creator. I think for me that was an entrepreneurial session or training so to speak which was amazing. You know, it was like a two and a half year boot camp because mm. we were in the forefront of the JNB high for two and a half years which uh, started in 2015, late 2015 all the way up until 20, like mid 2017. Great time and I mean, I believe in what the JNB Hive is still doing. I believe in the idea of the JNB Hive, and I think we need more spaces like the JNB Hive. So, what was it really supposed to be, or what was it? What is it now? So, w- what I know with uh, such, you know, spaces, uh, the thing is, it works within the tech industry, right? Because the businesses are much more focused. You know, you go in there, you know, you're creating this app, and this is what this app is going to do. And I mean, for example, if you're developing an app for FNB uh, and you can sell it to them, you can make money off of that and you're good as an entrepreneur and you can even get more work from maintaining the application itself. Uh, and, and it's also much easier for investors to invest in such a business because it's got a structure. I mean, you can identify the need and be like, you know, as a, you know FNB consumers or customers need this. And you convince your investors and they give you money, you go pitch it to F&B, they buy it, you guys keep growing as a tech company. But with creative spaces, it's quite slightly different. You know, also just how creators are built, you know, it's slightly different. Uh, the JNB Hive was supposed to, or the JNB Hive is supposed to, you know, groom and, and really develop the talent that creatives have and almost help them from just being creatives, but to being creative entrepreneurs, you know, because that's quite essential. I mean, if if you're running a creative business, you're going to need, uh, you know, entrepreneurial skills. You need to know how to handle legal matters, which there's a lot of within the creative industry. I mean, people are getting into, you know, copyright issues all the time, stealing ideas all the time. You need to know stuff around that. You need to know stuff around, you know, accounting, which is a big problem handling of money, uh, which is also something that I'm working on as a person right now, you know, being a good steward with, you know, my money and the company's money too. And, you know, also just knowing how to operate a business on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of creatives don't know how to do that, right? And then just knowing how to grow a business from there. Those are the different things that the JNB Hive is supposed to help these entrepreneurs with. And also in a way, helping them to create sustainable businesses, more than anything else because we need to see a sustainable economy and i mean if we can grow sustainability within the creative industries then we'll see more investment coming into it no investor is going to invest in an industry that's not growing Mm. you know an industry that's complaining about unemployment an industry that's not innovative so that's what i'm like investors are looking for and that's where that's the space we need to go in and that's what the gen hive needs to achieve as a space you know not become another glorified internet cafe, yeah. so to speak. You know, and I, I enjoy the programs they offer within 
the space. And, and actually another big thing which I wanted us to touch on is, you know, the other elements that go with entrepreneurship, because it's not just about running the business. And I think that's where we get it wrong. We focus too much on running the business than the individual. The individual. You know, the individual is more important than the idea. Well, I just think, think about that. I think I've said this in talks, I've said this in podcasts, is so you think about the analogy of the jockey and the horse, yeah. so the jockey being the entrepreneur yeah. and the horse being the business. Exactly. Way too many programs, initiatives, spaces. Focus on the horse. Focus on the horse. Yeah, not the and you, you, you're just trying to make the yeah. horse better, yeah. you make yeah. it faster, yeah. make it bigger, stronger. But if the jockey that's, that's running that is not personally being developed, yeah. personally being upskilled, yeah. personally being yeah. grown into the yeah. sort of person that can be... Yeah in control and really push this into mm. a whole different level, mm. then it really doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that was my big interest at Jamie Hive. I mean, I developed a lot of personal relationships with entrepreneurs, and, you know, uh, just outside of the JMB Hive and everything else that I do. I really do consider myself a teacher. And I do consider myself a mentor, you know, and I talk to a lot of young people from like students at Varsity right now to people that are running businesses and trying to establish companies. Uh, I talk to those guys and I share my experiences and my knowledge and, you know, some of the tools and resources, you know, free resources that I've been able to access, you know, to help them actually, you know, grow their businesses. That's my biggest interest. More than your business idea, I'm more interested in how you're doing as a person. Because I fully understand that if you're not fully functioning, as an individual, your business is not going to go anywhere. It might be the greatest idea in the world, but if you're not fit to make it happen, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen in that space. I mean, often enough, you know, you, are, you know, the big investors or the glorified investors of Silicon Valley, you know, they speak about, you know, investing in the entrepreneur and investing in the passion. That's what those guys are about, you know, and partly that is why Facebook is successful today. You know, whoever was investing in Mark Zuckerberg was not investing you know, in Facebook, the idea itself, but they were investing in Mark Zuckerberg because he was someone who was very passionate about the idea. Therefore, they got to understand that for this idea to work, we need to keep this passion alive, mm-hmm. you know, because the passion dies if we keep focusing on the idea, but you as an individual, you're not fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think about it, and there's very, very few examples or even um, close to being real yeah. spaces where creatives are being developed, creatives yeah. are being getting, you know, business development and training and stuff like that. What did it take to really start off the JNB Hive and, you know, who is involved and how yeah. do it work? By the way, I mean, for creative development, uh, companies like BASA, which is Business Arts, you know, South Africa and organizations like VASA and all these other guys, those are companies that should be developing entrepreneurs in those areas or creative entrepreneurs in those areas. You know, for example, BASA, uh, stand to be corrected, but as a government agency, it's their job to make sure that, you know, the regular artist is developed from the township, the guy who stays in a shack and, you know, he's got mad, crazy paintings. They need to make sure that person is developed in all these different areas, you know. Uh, with the JMP Hive, right at the beginning, uh, interesting journey, you know, the JMP Hive. It's, a, it's quite bittersweet and it's also like a love-hate relationship, so to speak. But more love than hate, though. Uh, 2015, really, really difficult year of my life. And 
this is me and, and this is me, you know, and, and my business partner and everyone who was involved developing Black Nation, um, running crazy programs with no money. And that is why sometimes I think actually not having money might be a blessing. You know, sometimes having money could be a disadvantage, you know, for people that have never dealt with money, particularly black entrepreneurs. And, and that is why, you know, now I don't believe in, you know, investing money into projects. I'd rather invest, you know, resources and skills and all that. So 2015, difficult year of my life, you know, been sleeping at Josie Harper, you know, for that entire year. Very, very rough. Um, developing content, doing crazy stuff. And towards the end of the year, like mid-year, July, August, uh, I get a call from a friend uh, and also, you know, someone I, I go into business with every once in a while, and that's Dillian Piri. He gives me a call from Cape Town. He's like, yo, there's this great opportunity that I just came across. Um, there's this company from the UK called Independence United. They're looking at, you know, starting something in the country. I know that you guys, you know, uh, you know, have occupied, you know, the creative space in Johannesburg. And they're looking at establishing something that would help, you know, entrepreneurs in Johannesburg. Not necessarily creators, but entrepreneurs. Uh, and like, yeah, that sounds like a dope idea. Definitely, definitely in it. So let's do it. And me agreeing to that, I got a visit from uh, Shilin Patel and Claire Adam Beaumont. I think that's how you pronounce her surname. Great individuals also. Uh, I met up with them at Joseph Harp in the boardroom. We have a conversation. You know, I tell them that us is Black Nation. This is what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to develop our own version of complex advice here in the country and eventually go across, you know, the continent. They get excited by that and, you know, the focus that we have and what we want to achieve. And they're like, okay, cool. You guys sound like great business partners. And a few days later, receive an email you know, listen, we're coming back to the country and we would like to sit down and conclude, you know, this conversation and, and go into making something happen for entrepreneurs in Johannesburg. Like, fantastic. The guys arrive and we start working on the hive ideas. So the partners that were involved in that partnership included Black Nation Media Group, included Creative Nestlings, included Independence United, which uh, is the UK-based company. And the entire initiative was funded by JNB Whiskey. And shout out, shout out to those guys for having a different perspective on how to do things, right? It also goes back to what we're talking about, big companies investing in small companies. I think JNB Whiskey actually, you know, had the guts to actually do it, yeah. you know? Yeah, so I was really impressed by those guys for investing in this great initiative. And it's been, what, now five years? Mm. And guys are going strong. They've got a new space, doing a lot of activities within the space. I mean, definitely still have areas of improvement, but I think it's, it, 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 it's getting better. And I think also one more thing, you know, not just from being able to sustain the idea or, you know, the, the place or the physical environment, but I think it's also important to make sure that the entrepreneurs that go through the program also have sustainability. Because the problem we have, or the problem you have with the JNB Hive or with most, you know, incubators uh, like the JNB Hive is that you don't get to see the entrepreneurs that were there at the beginning. You know, where mm. the guys from 2015, you know, where's the transition in that and the growth and the growth and the development, and the development. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So we can't be incubating new businesses every year. You know, that means we're not doing something right. So I think that's one area of improvement that maybe they need to look into, you know. And it goes back to, like, coaching the entrepreneur, not the business. Coach the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur will get the business right if they properly coached. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about just that sort of arrangement of just, you know, multiple partners coming in to build something and all of that. and. Obviously, um, you are now no longer yeah, um, part of the JMB part of the JMB officially, hive, yeah. officially. Yeah. and um, I obviously have some context yeah. um, on you know what happened. You mean with the entire saga? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but not to make this you know a focus on okay negative this person yeah, exactly, yeah, but yeah. pointing fingers. Yeah, but to create a platform for people to understand how to work with corporates, yeah. how to work with partners. Yeah. What sort of the lessons that you've taken from the experience that you had? And yeah. you can possibly go into the experience yeah, that you had definitely. and, yeah. um, and yeah. all of that as well. Yeah. Look, I mean, no knock to the guys at the JNP Hive or anyone who's involved in the story, right? But uh, education is expensive. I got to realize that education is expensive. And hence, that is why, in a way, I don't fully understand the idea of free education, right? I mean, uh, I guess we, we do need it in our country, but, you know, if you really want to learn something, you've got to pay for it, man. Yeah. You know? I have a friend who's a teacher now, you know, and he tells me that kids don't care about education because it's free. Mm. You know, uh, they're not being accountable for anything. But if you're accountable for something, you're going to make sure that you learn, you know? Mm. Um, the education at the JMB Hive, that was close to a million we lost in terms of investment, yeah. right? And that was a big punch for a small black business in this country. Yeah. yeah. And that was a huge punch in the gut. So that whole story and the lessons that came from it, I mean, for one, uh, start with the positives. I mean, being at the JNT Hive was a great experience. I mean, working with an international partner, you know, trying to coordinate the space here in the country was amazing. And that also just opened up other doors for me in terms of, you know, understanding business. Yeah, and that. Yeah. So, sorry, just to interrupt yeah. you, but yeah. like, I think one thing that you are being very humble about is yeah. also the impact that you had in yeah. that time. Yeah. Right? So there yeah. were entrepreneurs yeah. that I know now yeah. that are doing who great. needed yeah. that yeah. that yeah. those programs, yeah. that needed that yeah. space, that needed the mentorship, and yeah. those guys are doing incredibly well. And like you, um, whether it's you, whether it's Dillian, yeah. need to be able to have yeah. a level yeah. of okay, but. Yeah. Do you remember that we did this? Yeah. So you've been very private, humble about in that private, side. In private, of in private conversations, you know, you do mention such things and be like, you know what? <laughs> Shit, that stuff was great. You know, we did amazingly well. And to be quite honest, actually, if you look at the JNP Hive now, you know, in the five years of its existence, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that we created. You know, I'm, I'm not even being you know, an asshole about that statement. But if you look at people like Walk Fresh, you know, he's opened up like three like flagship stores. He's got one in Davidton and Soweto and inside, you know, Sentinel Mall, you know, inside Spots, uh, Spots Scene. So that, that's really amazing. I mean, yesterday I was in uh, Newtown Mall. I was sitting by Amplified Studios there and I was having a meeting and I see these two boys, they're just going up and down with trolleys, you know. They're taking Batu into the shop. You know, I was like, this is amazing. You know, this morning I wake up and I'm on Twitter and Tsepp was like photo shoot in Paris type thing. I'm like, mm. this is amazing. Look at Tsepp with the gin maker making things happen. 
so in that regard, yeah, we did have an impact, and 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 we knew what we we're doing, and I think we can still have the same impact. I really do believe in myself when it comes to teaching, coaching, and making sure that the entrepreneurs are great. I can produce a lot more of you know people like those guys. Uh, I have confidence in that. I have confidence in my skills and in my thinking abilities, and you know, and I'm glad and I'm happy for those guys, and I'm happy for you know the JNB hive, and I, I just hope to see that happen you know, quite more often. And and I also know that, you know, if you're running an incubator and you have like 50 entrepreneurs in that space, you know, maybe you're probably going to get like three to five successful businesses within that space. Yeah. Those are the metrics that we're working with. So, uh, or the numbers that we're working with. So I, I also understand that. And and to be quite honest, I mean, the JNP Hive, man, I don't even care about the money that we lost, you know, through that investment. Because it was great education for me. For someone who wants to have like personal wealth of like six hundred million pounds, that doesn't really bother me. Uh, I think that I had to go through that stuff for me to get the six hundred million pounds that I want in my own personal bank account. So, and and the lessons that I got at the JNB Hive, even from like peer to peer mentorship. Those were great. Interacting with these guys that I'm talking about. I got to learn from Tepo. You know, I got to learn from Lutawo. I got to learn from Theo. I got to learn from all the other entrepreneurs in the space, like, you know, Hibs and Hats, Jams, you know, Tsuriso and Bravo. I mean, I got to learn from a lot of people, you know, within the JMB Hive. And even the people that I was working with, you know, I got to learn a lot from Dillian. I got to learn a lot from, you know, the guys that Independence United, because at various points we would interact with different people. Um, you know, right at the beginning, a lot of communication was with, you know, Shilan Patel and Claire Adams and, you know, great, fantastic individuals. And I also consider Claire, you know, a mentor of some sort, you know, and, you know, I got to work with David Smith. I got to work with Rose, you know, and fantastic, fantastic bunch in terms of, you know, education and learning, you know, and also losing out, you know, on the JNB Hive deal was, you know, education on its own. Yeah. yeah, in the great lesson. So how do entrepreneurs um, better manage the partnerships that they have and also protect themselves at some level, right? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So yeah. we've had a deal to go through. Yeah. Right? So we, you know, you being very honest here, so I'd like to, yeah. also, you know, yeah. so we made this amazing um, agreement with this great organization yeah. to go, hey, we want to make a studio and yeah. we want to make it so cool. Yeah. And we want to build a, 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 a center that could possibly be the most amazing thing for audio mm-hmm. producers, mm-hmm. audio content producers in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. And that sort of just fell through where someone just, you know, it was a miscommunication mm-hmm. here. It was a misalignment there. Mm-hmm. A more senior person changing the rules, mm-hmm. changing the game. Yeah. And at the end of it, I look at it and I go, oh, there was absolutely nothing yeah. that I put in place to protect myself. There was no obligation on yeah. paper. Yeah. There's nothing that I can point to and say, yes, but you did me wrong. And you now have to correct this, you know, get us an alternative space or help us build n- another space yeah. or something. Yeah. But I look at that as for me, it's just, I made a rookie error. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think it happens, right? And I think about situations like that versus, say, another situation where, 
you know, a client doesn't pay. Yeah. All these things are becoming just a, a normal, it's it's becoming, oh, it's school fees. That, that's what yeah. my mentor yeah. calls it. Yeah. Because it's school yeah. fees. That's what I've been telling you, that education is very expensive. <laughs> education is expensive. expensive. And very expensive. It's, I look at situations like that or yeah. something like what you've been through and yeah. I ask myself, how do entrepreneurs, creators, small business owners start to adjust the way they're thinking yeah. and prepare themselves for situations like this yeah. and navigate them better? Yeah. Oh, man. It's really a tough one. And I don't think it'll start happening, right? Uh, like your man to put it, man, we all got to pay school fees. You know? if, 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 you, if you dream big, um, expect to make big mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, it just makes logic, right? To look at it that way. And I mean, one, again, everything is an ecosystem. Given what we're talking about is an ecosystem. I mean, our JNB Hive partnership was or is an ecosystem itself. You know, there's different parties involved in that partnership, and different people have to play different roles and have different responsibilities. And it's just unfortunate, you know, like with any mission or with any system, excuse me, any system like that, you know, such nonsense does happen. And, and uh, I want to say this, and this is my experience and something that I've seen. You know, brands don't do this to entrepreneurs. It's the agencies that do this to entrepreneurs, right? For example, you do a job for Coca-Cola, you know. Coca-Cola pays the agency in full. Mm-hmm. It's the agency that does not pay the content creator. Yeah. Not the brand. Yeah. So I've lived this. Yeah. Not with Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. But I've lived this experience exactly. where an agency so that, yeah. was paid and yeah. Yeah. the agency just didn't pay me and I just have to take the loss because what am I going to do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's one thing we, we have to understand. I mean, these brands have a lot of money not to pay you 10K. Yeah. They don't need that kind of stress. You know? They don't need you to be, you know, creating, you know, nonsensical stories around that. Yeah. That's the last thing they need. It's the agency that does not pay you. So that, that, that's one thing. And the other thing is just getting to understand the, you know, the entire scope of what you're doing. With. That's very important. And, and obviously, legal being the most important one. You know, uh, going into a job without a contract, that's very dangerous. It should never be done. I, I don't care if it's like 3,000 rands because you can still take that to small claims court. But you should never go into a deal or a job without an agreement. Uh, so that's another thing we got to learn, right? And also, there's other details involved in that. What kind of an agreement do you have with these people? And what are the terms and conditions involved in that? You know, fine print, which means that legal representative is very, or legal representation is very important in that case. You know, and we also need to, and these things are not costly. I mean, would you rather pay a lawyer 1.5 to look into a contract or go into a deal for 150000 and still lose that entire amount? Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? And you need to approach a, you know, a legal representative before you go into these things. I mean, these companies deal with this stuff all the time. You shouldn't be afraid to say, look, I'll get my lawyer to take a look at it and then I'll send it back to you at the end of the week or something. 
once you've looked at this and you send it to your lawyer, you make sure that the contract is watertight, you protect it and you liable for whatever deliverables that the agency or the company needs and you and you take it from there. You know, so there is no other way of protecting yourself. Just mm-hmm. make sure that all your legal bases are covered and you'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about this or would you like to move on? No, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, my experience with the JNB Hive, right? So we had this altercation, um, so which was with Independence United, not JNB Whiskey. And that this was from our end as the other partners, which is Black Nation and Creative Netslings. And we went into this argument and that, look, guys, uh, we haven't been paid our money and we think we should be paid because of these reasons, right? And the guys were like, uh, the space lost money, therefore we can't pay you, right? Uh, I think the most disappointing thing in that situation was that, you know, the other partners, which is Independence United, they weren't willing to make a compromise. Maybe we also did not approach this entire thing properly by taking the legal route first, but we did try to have conversations with them prior to that and be like, yo, guys, this is what we need. Let's do something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And we never got any settlement out of it. And purely because our legal work was not in place, you know, all, all our legal documents went properly filed and they weren't properly organized. Therefore, that entire thing worked against us. And I mean, the, taking the legal route was the last thing I wanted, you know? Uh, these are the same guys that really helped out when things were tough. I mean, we were doing great content-wise, you know, and in terms of like, we were also getting a bit of business, but, you know, that partnership took our business to the next level. So I was very appreciative of that, and I never wanted to go down the label route, but, you know, I had to, and that on its own was an experience, and that was great, you know, and I got a thrill out of it. I loved it. Yeah. I hope a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, respect your you know, willingness to be open about it and yeah. really learn a lot from it. Yeah, because um, it lost a lot. I mean, the grave, you know, the, the JNB Hive is a great idea. I mean, that's something, I mean, I still do want to be a part of it, you know, not not just because of the money. Because of the money, I mean, uh, money because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm running a business and I'm going to generate income and I'd like to grow my business and hire more young people that I believe in, right? But also from like an impact perspective, I, I still think that I can have a lot of, impact within that space in terms of you know getting entrepreneurs to be successful personally and business-wise yeah yeah and i think that space is is an important place for that to happen it is especially for creatives yeah um just to end off um yeah. what does the but future you know, i wanted to i also wanted to touch on other stuff besides okay. you know besides you know entrepreneurship and and i mean i, I wanted to 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 have a conversation around just being just being a young person and being, you know, in entrepreneurship and how that works for a young person. Yeah. Please go on. I wanted I wanted to I wanted to have I mean Trust me, we've gone through a lot. Yeah. It doesn't seem that way. Yeah. And, 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 Trust and, me, you can remember yeah. the last five minutes. Yeah. yeah. But there's an hour yeah. of this conversation yeah. where we went through everything yeah. from media for young yeah. people, yeah. startups, yeah. business. You know, everything. We've covered a lot of but places, Please go into that, though. 
Yeah, I just think generally, I mean, I also have, I mean, this is one of, uh, one of the strong opinions or ideas that I have currently that. And actually, let me ask you a question. Yesterday, I was at Amplified Studios in Newtown, and something which is very typical in the norm happened. I mean, I look around the space, and I see a bunch of guys in that space, like a bunch of dudes in that space, and I'm like, where are the women? Mm. What's the question? Well, the question is, I mean, where are the women? So I'll be honest, um, and I feel very strongly about this. Um, South Africa's creative economies, South Africa's incubators, South Africa's entrepreneurship support programs, none of it is designed for or accommodating or genuinely invested in the growth and development of women. How so? There's very few organizations that dedicate themselves to understanding the differences. Yeah. and really being nuanced. Yeah. So, for example, um, I remember being in an incubator, yeah. like very early on, yeah. and one of the entrepreneurs had a son, mm. and she was running a home, you know, yeah. and someone was, you know, it's just one of those cases where we're yeah. doing pitches and yeah. this and that and this and that. And I genuinely felt so disgusted yeah. for myself, yeah. but for the organization to go, you don't actually have the empathy to understand the differences in the lives of men versus women. And I'm not saying that all women have children, but like there are so vast in differences in how we experience entrepreneurship and the relationships we have. So, for example, women walking into boardrooms or meetings and being harassed Mm -hmm. before they're being heard and listened to as an entrepreneur. And I think we need to start consciously designing spaces, um, whether it's creative spaces, whether it's studios, whether it's incubators, programs, whatever it is, to serve women way way more or much more equally than it serves men. And I think there is a shortage or or just a lack of diversity, especially on a technical sense. So obviously the, the studios would have you know, producers, editors, and all of that, Hundreds, yeah. they would need to make sure that they're driving, they're making a drive mm-hmm. to accommodate women more equally yeah. or even, you know, disproportionately. And I just think the ecosystem is just, it's not disproportionately advantaging women. Yeah. It's actually advantaging men. Yeah. So, yeah, that that for me is, is, is where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, there are some organizations that can, you know, say, you know, so, for example, for me, one of the big ones is uh, Future Females. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is Inspiring 50. Mm-hmm. So, Future Females is a community of women that are start- starting, building, and growing businesses. Yeah. And it's very much tailored for women and yeah. advantages women and yeah. empowers women. Um, Inspiring 50 is a list for women in STEM, um, technology, and startups, which really recognizes them in a real and fundamental way. And I think everyone needs to do better. Even I need to do better. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I, I look at the sort of number of guests I've had on my podcast. Yeah, you need more women. And I look at it and I go, oh, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. And I need to own that. So yeah. something that I've really forced myself to do is that I am not willing to do more than three podcasts without making sure that I've had a woman yeah. who can speak to um, entrepreneurship, yeah. small business and startup from her perspective, because we don't have the same experience. I think any entrepreneur doesn't have the same experience. Our experience is 
yeah, I mean, every every entrepreneur's different uh, experience is different, but we need to make an effort. Yeah. So I would even, for example, I'm not willing to. So we starting a podcast network, right? So that's you know just a bunch of network, a yeah. bunch of podcasts yeah. in different subject matters. Yeah. We are not willing to take on another show that's being led by a man. Yeah. Because we have that. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not okay. Like we can't, you can't keep perpetuating the cycle yeah. and traditional media has done that mm-hmm. you know, you've got men in the powerful positions yeah. and deciding what the narrative yeah. is but if we want to change it and we want to be new and we want to be better yeah. it means changing our behaviors yeah. changing our thinking changing yeah. what we're doing so i'm not willing to put on another podcast that's led by a man yeah. i want women-led podcasts and i genuinely believe women are far better content creators than men are just no, no, by the way, debatable. Debatable. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I, I mean, think, my, I my think, thing is, my thing is, I mean, look. For one, I do acknowledge at the highest level that there are big gender differences, right? And I do not take, you know, the struggles that are faced by women lightly, mm. right? But at the very same time, I feel like we are creating an imbalance that we're trying to solve, right? By always perpetuating these ideas that we need to create sacred spaces for women. I think our economy also does not need spaces led by men or women. Our economy needs spaces that's led by both genders. Or equality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very important. I mean, 100% agree with you when you say we need to build spaces that more, you know... Accommodate. Accommodate, exactly. Right and because I mean I'm vastly different from a woman, but I also have similar struggles to a woman. You know, sometimes I would have to take my baby to work with me, you know, and do whatever I have to do with her. Luckily, I'm that guy who does not give a fuck anywhere I go, as long as it's not a drinking place. My daughter goes in, mm. you know, and you can't stop me from working with my daughter around me. Because partly, I'm also trying to expose her to the work that I'm doing, mm. right? Because this is the perfect time to build them, you know, to actually create exposure and familiarity with all the different things that daddy does. Mm. You know, uh, it bothers me a lot that, you know, we, we focus too much on one side. Because generally what happens if you focus a lot on one side, this one side struggles, mm. right? And my other perspective is this. Uh, the reason why you have a lot of guys in co-working spaces or incubators is simply because there aren't enough opportunities for them to get employed. Therefore, you need to do something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And you've got guys that have taken that up as, you know, their own choice. I and mean, I can get employment anywhere I want, but I want to be in the co-creating space. Or I want to be in the incubator because that's my dream and that's what's pushing me. But, you know, I think we need to focus both on and man and woman. And I was saying this to a friend yesterday that you as a 30-year-old and me as a 32-year-old man, I believe that we have similar struggles. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Uh, I think the people that we need to really focus on are people that are like 45 and up. Those are the guys that we need to sort out the equality issue with. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that have been done wrong and we need to fix that. Yeah. But you as a 30-year-old, I think... The scale sort of metaphor. Yeah. So you saying, you know, 
don't focus on one or the other. Yeah. But I think right now the scale is very much towards men. Yeah. I just think we need to balance it properly. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Not necessarily. All, all these guys, all these guys that are heading up companies, that needs to change. Yeah. We need more women in those positions. Yeah. Definitely. I want a woman to run this country. Yeah. You know, I want I'm someone who's more interested in different experiences. I want a different experience. I don't want another ANC guy leading, you know, I want to see another ANC woman leading the country. Yeah. I want to see what women can do for this country. I'm definitely for that. Yeah. And that's what I'm teaching my daughter, that you can do anything in any space you want. Right? And this is a very close, like, subject to my heart because I'm also focusing on building young men. Because my feeling is that if we focus too much on women and neglect these young men, and the, and, the, and the man that we're talking about when we talk patriarchy and all these things, are these old men predominantly? Mm. You know, it's not necessarily us. If you worked at an advertising agency, you would know how to behave yourself. Because this chick that's the same age as you, she'll tell you what to get off. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think the next generation will change it. Exactly. Right. So we can go into this forever. Just yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but we do have to end. Yeah, 100%. Um, wow. So it's been an hour already. It has. <laughs> um, what does the future look like? The future is very exciting. So it, it, it's just me going back to content creation because for the longest time I've been focusing on developing, you know, like PR entrepreneurs or other entrepreneurs within, you know, the creative space and other spaces. But, you know, the focus is going back to content creation, you know, running our agency, um, registered a new company, but we're not changing brands. So we've got a new company called Arsenalism uh, Media Group. So that's like named after my daughter. Uh, we going into content creation and the focus this time is Muscandi because we've identified that as, you know, a potential market for us in terms of, plus we have a great connection with Muscandi. I mean, me and my business partner, my little brother, we are heavily influenced by Muscandi and we love Muscandi. We love the culture within Muscandi. I often, you know, put it right next to hip hop. You know, I'm like, whatever happens in American hip hop actually happens in Muscandi, which is like a very interesting perspective for my end. It is. You know, from like fashion to like gang banging to music to like, you know, diss lyrics or whatever you want to call it. So we want to document that culture. And, and again, we've been pioneers in this space. You know, I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, but that's what we're doing. We're producing two shows uh, for that specifically. So one show is called uh, Maskandi Live. So those are like studio performances by different Maskandi groups and predominantly looking at the up-and-coming talent also. And we also do Maskandi Radio. So that would be another podcast platform for like up-and-coming Maskandi artists. And then there's another show we're doing called uh, Culture Architects. So we there we're looking at people that have been or are instrumental in building the music culture or the music business in South Africa from like managers to like record label owners, you know, to brands that are heavily involved in music to artists that have made it, you know, from just being an artist to being a record label owner, you know, to being an entrepreneur businessman. And, and, and I also have my own podcast, which I record every Sunday. It's called uh, Boys Become Man. And it focuses on mentorship of young men uh, between the ages of 20 to like 30. And the conversations are really about how to become a better individual, how to become a better man and really sharing my experiences and, you know, the guests that I bring to the podcast. We have conversations 
about a lot of things in it, from like entrepreneurship to business to how to you know handle money, how to go after your dreams, you know, how to you know manage uh, a co-parenting situation, you know, because I'm in that, and I know there's also a lot of other young men that are in co-parenting situations, and what I've realized is that. A lot of them actually don't have good relationships with, you know, the the mother of their kids and stuff. So, uh, and 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 I made a personal decision. I was like, I'm not going to go down that route. So I need to develop a better relationship with, you know, the mother of my daughter. And that's what the po- uh, that's what the podcast, you know, focuses on. And I'm hoping to have a great impact with all the work that I do. And that that's what I'm focused I'm focused on. And I'm, I mean, all these ideas are also just in closing are influenced by the content that I consume. So I'm very careful of what I consume on the internet. I mean, I consume a lot of like theology, a lot of psychology, and a lot of like interesting entrepreneurship insights, and, you know, pragmatic ways of, you know, running a business or a company or how to start, or how to start after you've fallen, you know, how to make a comeback. So those are the type of things, you know, I focus on, and these are the lessons I want to share with my audience and the people that I interact with or encounter, yeah. That's amazing, man. Wishing you all the best. Yeah, no doubt. We're going to make it happen this year. Well, thanks, man. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thank you.